Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey, everybody. David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. Recorded live from Vision High Tech Training and Expo in Kansas City, Lucas and I are joined by Sunil Patel co-founder and CEO of Techmetric, one of the fastest-growing automotive repair shop management systems on the market. We discuss a whole host of topics, including mindset, facing challenges, and how to deal and even thrive when change happens. Lucas randomly decides to get political halfway through the podcast, and I face my own mortality somewhere towards the end. This was an awesome conversation, and I'm confident you'll enjoy it, so make sure you have a set to automatically download the latest episode when it drops on your favorite podcast listening app, and check out the clips from this and other episodes on YouTube. And now, here we go. Well, do I have a few things I want to tell you guys? Awesome. I like hearing things. Um, so you may not know this, mm-hmm. but I was in Minneapolis okay. with PJ, mm-hmm. and you came up. <laughs> and we were talking about you. And um, and PJ said, you know, he said, one of the things that I don't or I struggle to understand is his drive. And I, I've thought this before. And I've got to be honest with you, when all that stuff was happening with your daughter, Boys, it hit like I'm not gonna lie. I had to un. I didn't unfollow you, but I could not look at it mm-hmm. because it hurt. Right? I've got a little girl. Yeah, <clears throat> that's tough. And so I was talking to PJ about it, and PJ, you know, me and PJ have had some really heart to hearts over the fact that look, you've got a little man now. Right now, he probably doesn't pick up on you being away from home, but like that eventually weighs heavy. You know what I'm saying? And so we're talking about it. And uh, PJ says, when Sunil went through that, he was head down. We're going to solve the problem, right? And I get that we don't know how strong we are until we go through something, right? Yep. But your ability to take a problem like that and not let it stop you 
is unbelievable to me, right? The fact that you were able to push through that. So me and PJ are talking and he said, look, that's why Techmetric does what Techmetric does is because Sunil takes anything that comes in his way and says, I'm, I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to grow through this. I'm going to be better than this. I'm going to make something from it. And he was talking about the fact that all these things that have come up over the years, you just took it and made something from it, right? Like you took Techmetric and made it an amazing thing in, in spite of the adversity that you saw. How do you do that? So recently I gave a little talk on mindset and change mm-hmm. and I feel like that relates to me the most. And the reason I say that is because in order for someone to constantly be striving for success, perfection and all that, right? you have to have that mindset to be able to do that. Now it's easy to just say you have to have that mindset to do that. Right, right. But it actually, so I'm going to talk a little bit on the medical side of this. Yeah, of course. Equation, right. So, um, I have a little bit of uh, background in medicine. I used to be a physician. And with that knowledge, I've kind of put together this slide deck, which I like presenting at uh, conferences to talk to shop owners about mindset. Right. And so there's a part of your brain that uh, is called the reticular activating system that actually focuses and hones in on what your mind is thinking on all the time. Right. So if you, Lucas, don't want to go to the gym ever and the, going to the gym is just not your thing, right. you will keep training your mind to make sure that gym is just not your thing, right? And now, it's not until you have a breakthrough, right? which few people have, and they're far and few in between just to get a breakthrough. It's right. not until you're going to have a breakthrough that you're going to be able to change that mindset. Right. What you're having to do is train your reticular activating system to tell that part of your brain that it is a positive activity that I want to continue doing because – it is something that's important for me. And there's there's like this whole five-step process I talk about with having vision and, and so on and so on and so on. But just to summarize here, I always – change is something that's very easy for me. Like I've right. changed, you know, four careers in my life and drastic changes in career. From, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, physician to law enforcement, police officer and shop owner and now tech metrics. So – it's something that um, – and Techmetric is what I've settled on and I love working with the company and the team <laughs> and growing it. And I don't plan on going anywhere. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, with Techmetric, uh, if we get a problem, uh, we we look at that problem when we try to figure out a better way to solve it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, what I like or what I enjoy doing is getting my leadership team to think of a better way to solve something. Right. And not just to sit and hone in on how we've done things in the past or how somebody else has done things in the past. There's always a better way. Right. Um, now, specifically with my daughter, uh, it was it, – it brought me to my knees, to be honest with you. And it took right. a lot to just get out of it mm-hmm. and to be able to – so, you know, my wife and I kind of went through this. And so it took her a very, very long time to get mm-hmm. out of it. It took me – I had to put a date on it, probably three to four weeks to get out of it. And what I told my wife is like, you know, after I was done grieving about it, I was like, you know what? I'm ready to face the challenge. We're going to find the best doctor we can find. Right. And the best solution for her. And we're going to live life one day at a time. Right. We're not going to think about the future. We're not going to think about what's going to happen in the future. We're going to live life today. Yeah. And that's what we've lived by. And so – over the course of, you know, it's it's almost uh, 10 months now. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's been great. 
she's doing beautifully. Right. Um, normal kid going to school. Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. So, right. Well, and, and when I started seeing those follow-ups is when I could start following you again, because, I, <laughs> you know, that that is like, I mean, you're a dad. That that That's terrifying. Right. To be able to go through that. And that's an inspiration, I'm sure, to a lot of people who are going through that. And and it really speaks to, you know, the way I see things and the way I do things. Like I said, you don't know how strong you are until you have to go through it. Mm-hmm. But you didn't have a choice. No. That we were going through it one way or another. Mm-hmm. You, you had to come up with a solution that works. And you did that. And so, you know, and it, in so many ways, I think that's what we're hearing from a lot of people about Techmetric. I mean, you've got a heck of a following. I don't know if you know that or not. You've got a <laughs> lot of people who follow you. Um, and so Techmetric feels very much the same way. You guys have been innovators when it comes to the software. People say, we need something. You analyze the situation. And if it's really needed, it's not long until it's in the software and it's functional. So what what is different about Techmetric than the other softwares that are on the market from your perspective? If I had to say one thing, it's our company and culture. And, you know, software is, I mean, if, if you look at the software for the most part, we all kind of do the same thing, right? Right. There's an aspect of software, which I'll talk about in a second. But if you look at the companies, you know, I feel very strongly that our company, our culture, our vibe, our following is very, very strong and hard to duplicate. Yes. And we've been very successful at hiring the right talent up front and in the beginning right. to ensure that we follow that mindset and to make sure that our customers also buy into that culture and mindset of Techmetric. Right. As a product, you know, I wish we can develop software faster, but unfortunately just the nature of software development is just time consuming. Right. Uh, I don't want to do something that has been done in the past by somebody else. Like we're not trying to just change a on-prem system to a cloud-based system and call it a day. Right. We want to know how we could make it even better. And so we're also working on, you know, a bunch of amazing technologies and stuff in Techmetric as a company. And we're hoping that 
there are going to be some amazing features for our industry to make the lives of all of our shop owners easier. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it already has in a lot of ways, right. And, and cloud-based alone has, has taken many shops out of the dark age. I think we both know shops that are still using pen and paper. You know what I mean? Yep. And I couldn't imagine that. I could not imagine trying to write service with a pen and paper, especially the level of documentation that we put in now Mm -hmm. to every repair. And so I think looking at this from a, an outside perspective and seeing the way that you've expanded, the way that the software has grown. I've got friends who use it and every single time they'll say, Hey, can you help me with my numbers? Can we look at this? Every single time I look at software, I'm like, that is so cool. They added that. And look at that. They added that over there. And it's so neat to see that development because it's the things that I was thinking before, you know, Tobin at TNT automotive is good friend of mine. PJ helped get him set up and get him cleaned up a little bit. And uh, I was I was talking to Tobin, and I said, hey, I wish this was like that. And I, it was a report or something. And it was maybe a week later. I opened the report back, and that was in there. I said, did you say something to them? And he said, no, I didn't say anything. And all of a sudden, numbers that I was thinking, hey, that would be cool if it was there, are there. And I think that's the true sign of a, a, a uh, forward-thinking company is that when people are seeing things and thinking about it, all of a sudden, that's happening. So, Sunil, what's the future of Techmetric? Where do you go from here? There is a – you know, I won't talk too much detail about it, but uh, right? we do have a long-term vision of the company. And when you start implementing some of the newer technologies and with the data that we have on Techmetric uh, – we want to be able to make sure that shop owners are able to build repair orders in a very timely and efficient manner. Right. Is what I can say. Yeah. We want to remove the thinking process out of building a repair order and make it simpler. Right. And that saves the shop owner a lot of time. Definitely. Uh, possibly even if a shop owner has a new hire, a new service writer, it takes that, you know, it, it takes it to another level because we don't want people to have to think about how to build that repair order right. or somebody who's not in the industry to build repair orders. Right. Definitely. And, and takes that kind of onboarding time down. That That's Absolutely. one of the hardest things, um, you know, over the past couple of years, I really struggle with that training aspect, right? I can do the service writing aspect. I can do the, the technical aspect, but when it comes to training someone to do it, <laughs> you can forget it. Um, click that button and do this and do this. And the next thing I know I'm doing it and they're saying, well, you're going too fast. I can't see it. Yeah. Just, just get out of my way. I'll do it myself, you know? So that's very important. The ability to onboard and get things moving and, and have that new staff member come in and it not be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So that's a big thing. Absolutely. That's a big thing for you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not allowed to talk. I, I may ask uh, something he doesn't want to. Okay. You, <laughs> no, I, I never said you couldn't ask questions. Ask all the questions you want. <laughs> Lucas is like, you need to keep it professional. <laughs> don't bring up religion, politics. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, really? I can't bring anything? He's like, no, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> like, okay. So talk I, about your culture a little bit. Mm-hmm. What, what is it? Everybody says that. Everybody. Oh, it's our culture. It's this, that. It's like, okay. If I bring in five different shop management companies, they're all going to tell me the exact same thing. My culture makes a difference. What is it about your culture? Yeah, you brought in some people, but are they the same people you still have around from when you first started? What what were those core values to say, hey, this is what we're going to do? And really, when you look at the, the following, 
from an outside perspective, I don't, I don't use TechMetric, obviously. I, I think you know that. But from an outside perspective, the in in my view, and I, maybe I'm completely wrong here, it looked like some very influential and uh, I'll say it in a very rudimentary way, very loud shop owners got on board with TechMetric and they bought into something within the company, whatever it was. Maybe you identified it. Maybe you didn't. I don't know. Maybe you can speak to that. But they bought into something with TechMetric and they ran with it. And then they almost became intertwined with the the identity of the company. They're a TechMetric shop, right? And then it just became amplified. And they sort of drowned everybody else out. Like, oh, this is, you know, all you have to do is put on there. And that was going to be the video, by the way. <laughs> Type in what what shop management system should I use, and then just boom, 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 because that's what ends up happening. It's just yeah, techmetric, techmetric, techmetric. Yeah, no, it's just in fl- a flood of people, and it seems like because you're you're saying, well, you know, we brought in the right people and we developed this culture and this identity. Okay, but what was it that these shop owners latched onto? Was I think not too. Not to discount anything your salespeople did. I've talked to your salespeople. They're very nice. It's not the same. It's not the same as as having, you know, a thousand shop owners on ASOG bombard you with you need to switch to tech metric. It's just not the same thing. Sure. And so then then it becomes a well, I, I have the all these people cannot be wrong, and so I have to switch. And it sells. They sell it for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what what is it within the company that they latched onto? Was it the fact that you were a shop owner before? Well, there's other shop management systems that are started by shop owners, so it can't be that. What what was it? It's hard to pinpoint it with one thing, David. But I can maybe talk a little bit um, and give you a little bit more detail and insight into it. And what I mean by that is, so yes, obviously it was started by shop owner. Uh, I ran a successful European shop in Houston, Texas for 11 years. Um, but that's okay, right? That's just that's just one aspect of it. Now, what I would probably say early on what we did well with was getting shop owners on board that uh, were very vocal and uh, and we didn't know it at the time. And, and if you kind of rewind the tape and play it back, go, oh, that was a good choice actually, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> The absolutely. decision that we made. Uh, but if you... So as far as uh, – so we got a lot of key influential people on board earlier than later. We stayed in touch with them. That could have been luck. Right? That could, that, have, that could right? have been luck, right? Because it, like you just said, I yeah. didn't know it was the right people to have sure. on there. But you kept them. Yes. So how would you keep them? So uh, a lot of the things that we as a company do is always stay immersed with our customers. And it doesn't matter how far or how big we get or how many layers get in between us as – leadership and our employees and then shop owners like uh, prashant is my co-founder so we always make it a point that we always want to visit trade shows we want to talk to shop owners we want to get FaceTime with them we want to see what's bothering them and we never want to lose that yeah and our own team our own leadership team has been trained that way no matter how big we get we always want to make sure there are there is presence of our company that can actually make a difference in that shop owner that's the first part of it. Second part of it is we always have made sure that we listen to our shop owners. And we were one of the first shop management systems, if not the first shop management system, to incorporate 
a feedback request board where we can actually get feedback from shop owners, have them right. vote on features that they would want. They get to see their peers vote on features that they want and ultimately build features that shop owners want. I, I definitely think that was an industry first. Yes. I really do. I mean, I, I don't remember seeing it anywhere else before that, for sure. Yeah. So we did it in a manual way initially. We did it in a Google spreadsheet, which got very, very painful until we started implementing <laughs> a tool for it. But we did that a lot. Like we would always vote on what feature we're going to, what's the roadmap look like? What's the feature? And then we as a company, we're always constantly improving our processes internally. We never rest. And what processes work for us today when we were a 20-person team versus a 50-person team versus a 90-person team, like our process have constantly changed to to make sure that we're doing everything the best way possible. At the end of the day, we serve shop owners, bar none. That's, that is our number one customer is our shop owner. We don't care about anything else. We want to make sure our shop owners are happy and content with the product. You know, I... I I, as David alluded to, I don't think there's any doubt they are. I mean, you seriously, you go in ASOG and ask, what shop management software should you use? I mean, there's probably 250, 300 responses. Techmetric, techmetric, techmetric. So, like, the, that's one of the the first things that the shop owners say is they listen to us Mm -hmm. and they immediately implement. And my first response is, you're not a software developer. Mm I get that you want the button there, but the button could probably go somewhere different. Sure. Or there's some aspect of it. And I, I look at it from a, like an Apple perspective. Mm-hmm. They don't go to their user and say, what do you want? Because they're going to get 8 billion different responses because everybody has a different flavor of mm-hmm. Apple product that mm-hmm. they want. They dictate, mm-hmm. you know, what you're going to get. Google does the same thing. Mm-hmm. They took away my back button. I mean, you can put it back on there, but they took away my back button. Yeah. They're like, oh, gesture. I don't want the gesture. Now, okay, I get it. Maybe their target market is moving towards gesture, and I'm just a little antiquated. I want my back button. By the way, Android 12, I can't move it to the right-hand side. A little antiquated. I can't. Can you move it Dave, on you yours? You should be using an Apple. Uh, what? Oh, <laughs> man. Did I start the wrong conversation? Listen, <laughs> if my wife listens to this and says something about it, <laughs> we, we've had this ongoing argument for years now. Now, okay, hold on. Time out. Now, there's some co- cognitive dissonance going on here, okay? <laughs> I, the reason why I use an Android is because I like to be able to adjust the thing to me. Uh-huh. So I want the button here. I want to have a back button. I don't want it to be in the software. I don't want to have the gesture. I want to have the buttons on the side. I, there's so many little nuances that I can tailor the software to what I like. And even if I can't, I go buy a device that is hacked that I can just put a custom ROM on it and run whatever cockamamie thing I want and do whatever stupid thing I want to do with it. That's cool, mm-hmm. I think, right? And that sounds like tech metric. That sounds like, hey, we're tailoring this to the needs of the the shop owner. Because you guys are voting on what it is that you guys want. So there's a democratic process to it. Where Apple doesn't do that. Apple says, no, no. From on high, we know better. This is what you're getting. Enjoy. Surely they've got some feedback loop. For example, I have lost my ever-flipping mind with these devices losing the 3.5 millimeter jack. 
I like my headphones. I don't want Bluetooth anything. I want mm-hmm. wired headphones. It's how I sleep. Okay. I want wires. I can't have wires. I'm not even buying the machine. I'm not, I'm not buying it at all. And Apple decided. Get rid of the jack. Get rid of the jack. Remember when they moved it from the bottom to the top and everybody went nuts? And then they got rid of it entirely. And then everybody followed suit. But what did everybody do? They followed Apple's lead. Correct. When no interchangeable battery, no this, that. Apple is setting the market. Mm-hmm. So why would you like Apple products? <laughs> when and, and I'm curious, as a philosophy within the company, it, it's great to listen to the shop owners. But at some point, you do hit a wall where you're like, they're not software developers. Sure. I, I get that they want this, but they don't really want this. And do you break it down to yes. the what problem are they trying to solve by asking for the stupid button here? We do. And our so we issue, we actually handed a book out a long time ago when we were a much smaller team. Hmm. Uh, Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. Okay. And that is some somewhat of a fundamental required reading for all of our employees now. Sure. Right. And so the reason why we wanted them to read that book is because when we get those kind of requests, we want a purple button here and a blue button there and a back button here. You have to be able to drill into why that person wants that button there and ultimately boil it down to what is the problem that they're trying to solve. Sure. And if we can get the shop owner to the point where we're listening to them and understand what they're trying to solve, the button may not actually be what they want. Yeah. It's actually something completely different and unrelated. Yeah. And so we take a patient hearing from all of our shop owners. Our CS team is phenomenal at making sure that they listen to shop owners and following these practices. Well, you know, and, and I I really resonate with that in a lot of ways because me and you have talked about this. When I first started trying to work on my business and fix things in the shop, I had all these ideas of things I wanted to fix that needed to be fixed. When we started talking to a professional about, what needed to be fixed. We didn't fix those things. No, right. It's all about, you know, it's all about the perspective of, of someone else looking at it and saying, no, here's what you really have to do. Mm -hmm. Like, is it ARO? Is it car count? What's the problem? I had this idea. I needed a ton more cars in the shop. And he said, dude, you're, you're doing like a ton of cars. You're doing a really high ARO, but you're just taking too long on the cars, Mm -hmm. right? You've got this idea that you want more cars. How is that going to fix the problem? Right. It's not. You're just going to further backlog yourself and upset everybody. So it comes back to the same thing and, and kind of the same concept as business management for a repair shop is knowing what the problem is and understanding the problem at a very deep and rudimentary level. So when you get the messaging to the you bring the messaging to the to the shop owner, they ask for a blue button over here mm-hmm. and you decide ah, you don't need a blue button there. You need this over here. I mean, is it, do you then, how do you present that to the customer and say, I know you were trying to fix it with this button, but what you're trying to fix is this thing here. And I was like, don't tell me what I'm trying to fix. I want this blue button here. (laughs) You have to be tactful. Yeah. And to be able to converse with a shop owner who's already might be heated and upset because his button is missing. Uh, you have to be able to empathize. Yeah, when you change You have to be able to empathize with that shop owner and truly understand. They're not going to be responsive to you if 
they're at a state of mind where they're not willing to listen for yeah. some kind of change, right? So, like, we have to be able to connect with that shop owner and make them understand. Right. We're trying to do something to actually help you here. Yeah. This is why it's going to help you. Yeah. And see the difference it's going to make. Now, Apple, Google, all these guys, they also have what we call a charter user program where they get feedback or have a feedback mechanism from people. Right. It's probably not very you know, it's not, we, we are not exposed to it, obviously. Yeah. Right. But we're a much smaller company. So mm-hmm. um, our target market is way smaller than Apple or Google. Sure. So it's easy for us to just get feedback from shop owners and continue iterating on something and build something. Now, we as a company are changing tremendously. So, you know, being sales-led versus product-led, and there's like a lot of internal changes that we're going through. Right. So we always want to continue and iterating on feature development that is amazing that checks most of the boxes for shop owners. Right. If it doesn't meet 100% of it, it's okay. We'll get back to it. But let's try and solve the problem first, the nice-to-haves we can add on later on. Yeah, exactly. Well, and David, that was one thing that David had talked about. And one of the reasons, you know, when I was uh, searching for an SMS, one of the big things that I looked at is we had a couple – Sorry. Is that, looking, the doc, is that, that the doc? That's my yeah, today yeah. document. He, he laughs at me because I've got a Word document that I manage the shop from. I have workflow oh, and I everything. Thought I, I thought it was genius. I told him to send it to oh. me. He never sent it to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, one of the things is I, I I probably shouldn't talk about one of his competitors. I'm going to talk about one of his competitors. Mine? No. His? his? Protractor. Mm-hmm. I looked at Protractor. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, looked at, um, I looked at Napa Tracks. Mm-hmm. Okay. And dude comes up and, and we're sitting in Applebee's and he's going to do a demo for Napa Tracks. And he sits down. That was not a good environment. That guy should not have tried to do that. And he, op- Applebee's. <laughs> he opens Napa Tracks and it locks his computer up. Then it goes blue screen. He's like, hang on. I've got another laptop. This happens sometimes. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he should he should have known better. That was a bad idea. Um, and, then, and then right after that. They you probably know, fired that sales guy, so you know. He's a podcast listener. But... <laughs> Um, and then there's, uh, don't do it in an Applebee's. That's a terrible idea. Then the software's not designed for that. Why would you do that? Then there was a protractor and, and man, I'm looking at protractor and it's got all these cool power user features. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm looking at it and I start showing it to the team and they're like, boss, man, like, I don't know. There's a lot of buttons <laughs> and you know, so I'm somewhat of a power user. I take things and use them to their full capability in most cases. But a lot of folks don't have that. They Mm -hmm. want something simple. They don't want something complex. How do you balance that to avoid it getting to the point that it's overloaded with hundreds of buttons that do hundreds of different things? Yeah, how do you prevent it from turning into Mitchell? Yeah, so that's a fine balance. And the reason I say that is as a software matures over time, you're constantly bolting on features over and over and over, right? Right. You don't want to have this very complex software with unlimited buttons that do every single thing you can think of. It needs to be right. in a streamlined format and yeah. process where you solve the issue that the shop owner is having. Right. And so a lot of times, if you remove something from that a shop owner is used to using, it just goes, I mean, <laughs> the amount of feedback that we get on stuff like that is just right. nuts. But a lot of times what we do is like, so we'll release a light version of the feature mm-hmm. and we know that we have to iterate on it over time. We may have to remove functionality or make that functionality better without polluting it with a bunch of settings and 
you know, all this other scripting and we don't do any of that. We, right. we want to try and keep it simple right? Yeah. for our shop owners and still gain maximum value. In fact, what I always, you know, talk about internally with our team is like, I want our system to think for our shop owners instead of having the shop owners constantly having to manage features and settings and whatnot. Right. Definitely. Right. right. That is pretty cool. That is How do you go from physician to law enforcement and I understand why you would get out of shop owning. That's awful. <laughs> but why Why from physician to law enforcement? What, I mean, I, I, well, maybe not that, but like physician to shop owning. Did you lose a bet? No. Um, <laughs> physician is something my parents wanted me to do. Oh, it wasn't okay. something I wanted to do. Right. Uh, so I, I became a physician, uh, went to um, – uh, Baylor College of Medicine for my internship, and then I moved to Detroit for a residency, and I took my car in for an alignment, and ultimately met a shop owner there that used to be a physician that no longer is a physician. Light bulb really? went off. Really? <laughs> opened a shop in Houston, Texas. That is crazy. So while I was working as a shop owner or owning a shop, I became a law enforcement officer for ten years. So it, I was doing both at the same time. Oh wow. What what inspired you to do that? What was your inspiration? It's gonna be funny. <laughs> so, growing up as a kid, I used to watch cops, right? And I used like to, bad boys, bad boys, yes, like cops, cops. Yeah, Makes you sweat the, the virtual, cops. the reality show. I'm sorry, not the virtual show, the reality show. And I used to watch it all the time. And right, but I, so I knew that the kind of life I wanted, a law enforcement officer doesn't make the money right <laughs> that, right um and it's long long hours yeah and so uh harris county sheriff's office here in houston has a reserve program right so i went through it for a full year and you got to do continuing education every year you got it's it's the same amount of training that a, a paid peace officer gets but right I, I just didn't get paid so it was actually a reserve position for 10 years that's really we've cool. done some amazing things that that is really cool and and you know i too used to like watch cops it went downhill over the years yeah. i mean i think we can all admit it changed the 80s episodes of cops were the best <laughs> right? I did, yeah they were cool i just i didn't find it fascinating i just it, it was you know i i've got fond memories of it i remember my dad had this old wore out recliner and and he would just sit there and he'd fall asleep in the chair and it would be cops and my mom would come in what the hell are you letting him watch you know you know Freaking out! It's a good show. <laughs> I was felt bad for the people on there getting hey, getting listen, wrestled to the ground and then hauled away. I, no I, shirt on. I know we're not supposed to talk politics or anything like that, but I will say, you watch a 1980s episode of Cops, mm -hmm. and you watch a 2005 to 2008, whenever they stopped making them, there was a whole different level of respect for police officers as you watch that go on, right? And I have noticed that they gained, they lost respect. They lost them. respect. And, and I think, I know this is horrible to say, I think in a lot of ways they were, they were respected because you knew better than to mess with them. Right. And, and, and they were never, you know, we've seen so many things happen. They were never disrespectful. Right. I, the old episodes, I, <laughs> hang on. They were, <laughs> In, in the '80s episodes, they were not—they were not doing things. I didn't do this. This is all him. Yeah. They were not talking about things in the '80s episodes that are in current culture as an issue, right? They—they—they 
they didn't disrespect somebody that didn't kind of deserve to be disrespected. Sure. Right? You you didn't come out and pull a pistol on a police officer because that meant you got shot. Mm-hmm. Right? That was just the extent of it. Mm-hmm. You didn't turn around and slap one in the face because if you slapped one in the face, you were probably going to get shot too, you know, or a billy stick up the side of your head. Mm-hmm. And they had a different level of respect in 1980. I'm serious. Go back and watch a 1980s episode and go watch one from recent. Mm-hmm. There was a different level of respect. You didn't cuss the dude, right? He got out of his patrol car. You didn't call him a this, that, or other. I don't. So the the idea that they got like uh, more assertive, trying to be <laughs> <laughs> the police officer, got more assertive with the public. I don't necessarily blame the police officer. I absolutely blame the politician who implemented rules. That then told the officer, hey, you are to stop everybody and ask them what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, it became a a constant interaction, adversarial interaction between police and the public. Where before it was the only reason why they're there is because something's going down. you did something. It wasn't because you, you know, were the wrong person in the wrong neighborhood at the wrong time of day. That you're getting asked, what are, you, what are you doing there? And this, that, and the other. And all of a sudden, it becomes an adversarial confrontation. Whether the behavior is benign or not, doesn't matter. Who wants to be stopped and, and, and asked and this, that, and the other? And you know what I'm saying? Like, nobody wants to be bothered. Everybody just wants to go about their day. Unless you're doing something sketchy. But even if you're not, you don't want to be bothered, right? So, <laughs> in my hometown... Nobody listens to the podcast, by the way. In my hometown, <laughs> it's a very small now where my shop is, right up the street. It's a very small town, a very very small town. And poor, <laughs> it's like, what did I go? <laughs> yeah, where are we going with this? <laughs> right? You can you can throw things at him. It's okay. It'll stop. I promise. <laughs> we uh, it they had a very small force, and IKEA decided they weren't going to come into town. There was this huge development. It fell through. I mean, just huge plot of land on top of a bluff. It's beautiful. Anyway, Ikea decides they want to come into town. And they're like, yeah, sure. We just want giant piles of money for the city. And they said, we have giant piles of money. Here's the giant piles of money. And all of a sudden, the city's like, hey, let's get more police officers, more cars. We'll hire 50 new whatever. Now, this is a really small town. They don't need 50 cops, but they have 50 cops. So what do you think that turned into? A lot of traffic stops, mm-hmm. let me tell you. And so and there's spots all over town that you know. I, it says 20, you go 20. Because if you go 25, you're getting pulled over. Because they have nothing else to do. <laughs> so then that turns into, I think, it turns into a problem. The cops are, you know, they're doing their jobs. I get it. I don't hold it against them. I hold it against the politicians. You sure look like you hold it against them right now. Some things. Not a lot of things. <laughs> um, I just, I, I know that I, I could not be a cop. I couldn't do it. I, I just couldn't do it. The first the first time they come down, they're like, I need you to go clear that, that gathering over there. Nope. <laughs> You're, you'll get fired. I understand. I'm going to go join them. 
I've, I've got a friend of mine who uh, we should probably steal this away. He is the CEO of a company. He probably doesn't want his name all over this. <laughs> I've, I've got a friend of mine who uh, who was a MP, and he said, um, "Scariest day of my life." He said, "I just knew I was getting court-martialed." I said, "Why?" He said, uh, "It was nine eleven." And he said, my commanding officer said, you were to stop. He was in Alaska. And he said, you're to stop the train. And he said, the train is a freight train that goes through the base. And he said, you were to stop all traffic on and off the base. And he said, I'm watching this train come down the hill. And he said, "Um, okay, I'm to stop it. He said, yes, you're to stop it. He said, what if I destroy my Humvee in the process of stopping it? He said, uh, you'll be court-martialed. He said, what if I don't stop the train? <laughs> he said, you'll be court-martialed. He said, he never knew that train went right through that base. <laughs> said, it was at the gate. He said, there was no stopping that thing. Um, so Did he stop the train? No. He said, I just watched right it. <laughs> he said, what are you going to do? <laughs> so stand out there and wave my arms and tell him to stop? No. Jumped out of the way. Um, so, so Neil, one of the things that I've always really appreciated about you guys, PJ is, has always been a great contact to help with this, but shop owners in need, right? Like y'all have, y'all have really stepped up in a big way. Anytime a shop owner's really in need, right? Yes. They can't have shop management softwares and they don't have enough money to pay their bills. Mm-hmm. I've, I have literally watched tech metric change some people's lives, right? Put them in a software get them enough information to where they can use it, whatever it takes, and then get them to where they're they're set up to pay and the whole nine yards mm-hmm. in a big way. That's huge. I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm not just saying this. I have watched it take a shop owner that was on the verge of losing everything and take him from $9,000 a month to seventy and eighty thousand dollars a month, just because he has data to look at mm-hmm. and he can understand it, and it was not going to happen without you doing that. That's amazing, and I want to say thank you for all of us. What's the message that you would have for a shop owner that's in that position right now? What What would you say? You see this like you you've been a shop owner. Now you see us from a different perspective. What What's the message you have for shop owners? So I, I also know a lot of shop owners that have struggled or are struggling. And what I would say is this. We make a shop management system. It's a tool in your arsenal to help you run your business. Right. But unless that shop owner is willing and wanting to change and look at a better life, there's nothing that our software is going to be able to help them do that. Exactly. Right? So if they're willing to change mm-hmm. – First of all, recognizing that they're wanting to change. Yes. And if they're willing to do that, we will help them across through that way. Right. So as far as a shop management system goes, absolutely no problem. We'll help those shop owners. Right. Uh, but it requires more than just a shop management system. Yes. So there are a lot of great coaching companies out there that help shop owners like this. And uh, we're partners with a bunch of them. And so, you know, we have gone to great length to try and make sure that if we can help them on the shop management side, can they possibly help on the coaching side or vice versa? And and we see that, right? Like we've seen shop owners go from virtually nothing going bankrupt almost to making six figures a month. Right. Um, 
I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say all those names and stuff right on the, yeah, but there's a bunch you, of shop owners that, you know. Yeah, you can say whatever you want, buddy. You're, you're good to go. And and that's amazing, right? And it, it, I was there. It takes a little bit of drive. Mm-hmm. It, it takes deciding I don't want to be here anymore. It's You had that breakthrough, right? You yeah. had that change happen yes. through you. So that's something you have to recognize that you're. How do I make it work for a gym, though? Okay. When you say a gym, just like I, I want, like I want to be able to want to go to the gym, not yeah. go to the gym, but at least work out yeah. or not eat the cheesecake. <laughs> so you have to have that vision. What is, yeah. what are you trying to accomplish? Are okay. you, do you see a version of David at the beach with a six pack? <laughs> Wrong kind of six pack. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get that. I'm there. You're there, I'm right? There. So you see, you see David. I right? see, I see the thin David. Yes, the next, the healthy thing. David. <laughs> I don't know. How old are you? I'm uh, 43. Fantastic for 43. Thank you. <laughs> I look like I'm 60, and I'm not 60. So, so I, we're not that far away from each other age wise. And I'm, I'm watching. I told you this. I'm watching something on YouTube, and it was like. Uh, it was TV stars from like the seventies and eighties, like cheers and welcome back Carter and just shows like that. Right. And what they looked like then and what they look like now. And a whole bunch of them died in their late forties, early fifties from heart issues, heart attack, cancer, just a lot of it preventable. Just like things that you could say, ah, I probably shouldn't have eaten that last cheeseburger. Just things like that. Right. And it, it hit me. Like all of a sudden hit me. <laughs> like you know, just watching this. I think it was sick too. Pretty sure with COVID. Second time. Uh and I'm like, I'm not that far away from this. Yeah. Like I'm I'm like really close to that. I'm gonna die soon age. Unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. Not from the car crushing me, which I'm okay with. It's the like the heart attack or the stroke. That then, you know, leaves you incapacitated. That's what I'm really scared of. I don't, I've got my father-in-law living with us. He's 60, I can't remember his age, 66 maybe. Uh-huh. He looks like he's 90. Uh-huh. Can't walk, uh-huh. you know, can't function. Uh-huh. Daily life is, is a struggle for him. Entirely preventable. There were a series of choices that he made in his 30s and 40s. Because when you're 20, do what you want. But I'm saying like 30s and 40s and 50s, but 30s to 40s, that age range where that dictated the next 20, 25, 30 years of his life and and ruined what could have been another 20 years of healthy, happy, active lifestyle. And it turned into this glob of a human being that cannot function for himself because of just terrible choices and and. I look at myself and I'm going, I'm there already. I'm making these choices every single day. I really want that cheesecake because it, it looks fantastic. So, I, yeah, I mean, it's not even I want the six-pack. I care less about necessarily what I look like. It's more I, I want to see my grandkids. Does, okay. that, does that make sense? Sure. So let's start with there. I'm going to walk This is this fantastic. Yeah, this this is. was totally worth it. Go. <laughs> So you have this vision of an older version of David, healthy, able, 
functional, functional, yeah, yeah. able to see his grand looks the age, right? Yeah. So we have two different types of age. We have the physical age, and then we actually have the age that our our, our body and our cells and everything are at actually. Right. So we have this vision of David at this, you know, what, what David looks like and feels like and, and, and is at this certain age. Right. So that, that's our vision. The next thing we have to do is recognize what, so it's a sentence that I usually try and get people to form, which is you write down an, a date at when you want to accomplish this goal by, we got to be realistic, right? Like it's not 30 days out yeah. to be clear. Right. So let's just put, let's just call it a year out. So, you know, March 3rd, 2023, I, and maybe there's some stats that you already have, like your cholesterol level or, or your body fat index or something like that. Mm, right. So, right. uh, by 2023 of March, I want to have my cholesterol level and my body fat index at this level. And then what do you feel? I feel great. Um, I look great. My clothes fit me better. And yeah. I can hear my wife saying, You've done a fantastic job, right? So that is our statement that we're going to write. We're going to write in a notebook. We're going to look at it on a regular basis. After we do that, we have to recognize all of the limiting beliefs that you have in your mind that are preventing you from achieving that goal. So what's probably going to happen in your mind is like, it's too hard. It's tired. It's It's too early. I'm tired. I got a busy day. Yeah. Yeah. I've got plenty of time ahead of me. I've got a long day. I've got, um, all these things I have to do. I've got, uh, that cheeseburger tastes really good. I I want to eat that cheeseburger. I don't want to eat that salad. Like you got to get so you got to recognize yep. that you have all of these limiting beliefs and even write them down, right? Right. What we have to try and do is now replace these limiting beliefs with something more positive, and recognize that making that positive change is actually going to help you achieve your vision and goal. The fourth thing you have to do is. Try and find a strategy, a proven, tested strategy of being healthy. And I'm not saying a fad diet, which never works, like a South right. by South Beach. Not, none of that stuff, right? Most people actually gain a couple pounds by going on a diet. So recognizing that there is a proven method, and I'm we can talk offline about this because I've already gone through something similar to what you're going through, David. So uh, I, we can talk offline and finding, finding a proven strategy. Mm-hmm. We don't want to make our own strategy. We, we don't need to waste time with that. Let's just find something that actually works on right. eating healthy, making better choices. And then the last thing is, is actually having a diary and for 21 days, you know, writing down every single day what the choices you made to try and achieve your goal or your vision. That's interesting. Right? Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. And and here's the thing is what, what I hear you talking about, I think it can work for shop ownership. It can work for a technician who wants to be a better technician. It can work for so many things. Mm-hmm. And like it resonates with me in a big way. So gosh, six years ago, my dad got real sick. Right. And we were, we were adding in another bay on the shop and, uh, Dad picked up a tuba six. Now, my dad's an old mountain man, right? And he picked up a tuba six, and he drops it on his foot, and he, like, winces. That's just not like him. He doesn't do that. And so I see him wince, and he turns around, and he goes upstairs. His house is right over top of my shop. And he goes upstairs. He doesn't come back down. And I said, hmm, I'm going to go check on him a couple hours later, you know? So I go up, and he's sitting on the edge of the bed, and he's got his shoe off. And I said, are you okay? He said, yeah, I'm fine. I said, what, what's wrong? Is your foot okay? And I looked down and I realized that the bottom of his foot's black. 
and the toes are starting to curl out of the bottom of the skin, like the bone's coming out. And I said, you need to go to the doctor. And he said, I'm not going to the doctor. I said, no, I think you need to go to the doctor. And his whole, in the, in the 70s, dad cut his leg almost all the way off with a chainsaw. And when they fixed it, he didn't cut the bone in two, but he cut all the arteries and everything else in two. So a lot of that wasn't fixed like they fix it today, mm-hmm. right? And so his entire leg has always swollen, and it's like, at this point, it's bright pink, mm-hmm. like to the top. It's bright pink and red, and it's hot, and you can see it's swollen. So we push the issue, and he goes to the doctor. He goes to a podiatrist, and the podiatrist says, you've got a bone infection. You need to go to the emergency room. So weeks and weeks in the hospital on a pick line, you know, for a really strong antibiotic, all this stuff. And the turning moment in my life was, is that doctor walked in and said, Wayne, if you had just listened to us when we told you you had diabetes and stop eating what you were eating, if you had just stopped and just done a little bit, you wouldn't be here right now about to lose your leg and almost your life. And man, that was a wake up call to me, Right. And, like, I started to try and change the way I was eating. And lots of things were happening at the same time. I wanted to look better. I wanted to feel better. So I lost a ton of weight, right? And then midway through somewhere, we talked about that this morning, I ended up with kidney stones, right? And I got rid of the kidney stones. And then we had a son. And then I was too busy. And then it was. That's always what ends up happening is the habit doesn't change. Or you may change your habits, but it doesn't end up. Like you're saying, it ends up being a fat diet that, mm-hmm. yeah, you yeah. lose a bunch of weight mm-hmm. and then you go back to your old habits. Yeah. You have to have that breakthrough in your mind and it has to be a lifelong change. Yeah. yeah. Lifelong change. I think that's where so many people struggle with it. Now, like once you find that success, like mm-hmm. you look at shop ownership, once you find that success, that, that change is pretty easy to maintain. Mm-hmm. Lifestyle is a whole lot harder to maintain, man. It is tough. It is not easy. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, it has been for me. Mm-hmm. Like, so the the eating habits go right back to what I, you know. But you look at, like, shop ownership. I can say unequivocally that what I was doing in 16 and even 17 is not at all what I do today. It's right. completely Why different. haven't you gone back to them? Exactly. Why haven't I gone back to them? I don't have an answer because I know it doesn't work, but somehow maybe there isn't that reward because mm-hmm. you know, the cheesecake is the cheesecake's my thing. Like, that and chocolate chip cookies. But it's such a short term reward, right? I know it's terrible. Mm-hmm. It's so good though. So at target, they sell, <laughs> sorry, hold on. I got told this Nestle house brand cookies. I don't like grocery store cookies typically. Right. I, I like them homemade. for just a second? I have to tell Sunil something. After a 45-minute session of listening to <laughs> Facebook Messenger voice messages from him mm-hmm. <laughs> of exactly what he's just explained to you, what he's getting ready to tell you about is these cookies. No, those, so those were different cookies. But I, I, my, my wife the, stumbled upon these. They, I, you know, I, I messaged him, like, grab some cookies. And because she doesn't like to make them. I don't know why she doesn't like to make them. She makes stupid brownies. I don't even like the brownies. She makes good brownies. They're excellent brownies. I just don't like brownies. They're just whatever. Cookies, however, I can pound down some cookies. Chocolate chip cookies. That, that's my jam. And so uh, at Target, they sell Nestle Toll House brand mm-hmm. cookies. 
they're just as good as like the grocery store home. Like a lot of grocery stores don't make them in house. They like ship them in from bakeries and then they show up there and they're not, they're not that good. The, the Hy-Vee up here bakes them in house. And so they're much better. But these are just as good. They're like, you know, like factory made production, like you mass just gave scale. Half of our listenership diabetes. I know. <laughs> so it's you know, of- like I see a lot of my friends get freaked out because they get the cholesterol reading mm-hmm. and they're like, "Hey, your cholesterol is eight hundred and fifty-two. Your blood is essentially butter. Mm-hmm. You should probably do something about that." They get freaked out, and then like I've had several friends, and but they go through the swings too. They lose a bunch of weight and then they gain it back. Whatever they don't make that consistent choice to to maintain, right? They go back to their old habits. I've never had that. I've never had that look. So, like, they check me out other than the fact that I've got a lot of extra fat, right? They're like, your cholesterol level's good. Your your uh, blood pressure's good. It, like, everything's healthy. Just my joints and stuff like this because I'm carrying a lot, like, an extra 100 pounds that I shouldn't have on me. So, that ends up taking a toll on my body. But David, think about that. You are carrying two international briefcases with you every <laughs> wherever you go. That should make me stronger, but yeah. somehow it doesn't. Yeah. Somehow well, I still get winded doing stuff. You know, so the, this leads me to the <laughs> to a question. I, I have found that the stress of shop ownership, and you know, we're building a shop right now. That's super stressful, right? And managing the money and all the problems that go along with that. And I see a lot of shop owners who are super stressed out. How do you? You're managing something of, with way more moving parts. How do you handle that stress? Because I, I know the stress impacts my health, right? Like I stress by, I stress eat. It, yeah, I stress by and stress eat too. Yeah, yeah, it affects my health. Like I can feel it, dude. I feel my chest hurt when things stressful happen. How do you manage that? That's a heart attack, by the way. That's good. <laughs> I mean, you, you've got a ton more moving pieces than we do, and you're just cool as a cucumber all the time. How do you manage that stress level? So – there's a lot of personal growth that I've had to go through also to be able to lead as, you know, somebody in this company. So it's not stress management is one aspect of it, but you know, in, I've been fortunate to find really good talent and good people in leadership and people that are coachable. Right. Right. I may not have the answer for everything that the leadership team needs, but they're all willing to listen and I'm willing to get coached myself Right. I'm always willing to know that there's a better way of doing something. Right. And pushing that to my leadership team. So I will never rest or be okay with, like, let's just look at stats, for instance, right? Like, we sell X number of shops this month, right? Yeah. What are we doing to increase that number? Or what are the things that in our company that we have to do to increase that number? And then, okay, where are our bottlenecks? Where do, what do we need to improve on? Um, it it's tough because you expect somebody to operate at peak efficiency and to be that unicorn of a person in that role. Right. And sometimes it doesn't work out. Yeah. But is that person willing to improve or learn from some subject matter expert or some coach or whatever it is? Right. So as long as I have that, I'm very comfortable in my space because I know that the team is not going to be okay with, Mediocre. Right. Right. So in other words, there it's the delegation process yeah. that takes that additional pressure off. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we've talked about this, like, you know, we, we've talked about, um, 
you know Seth. Oh, yeah, Seth you know, we talk all the time, you know, Seth's like, why is building a shop so stressful for you? Well, mm-hmm. because I'm my own general contractor, you dummy. You just paid somebody. <laughs> He's like, that's stupid. Good point. I know that. But, you know, I didn't do that. So I look back and I think that, that you know, that's really taught me a lesson, especially in that area, is, is that we've got to delegate. Mm-hmm. We've got to give some of that responsibility away. And And why do you think I'm able to be here? It's because I've learned to do that in the shop for sure. So the easy thing, so the typical mindset is like, I'm going to just take care of it myself for a couple of reasons, right? I'm going to be able to do it quicker, faster, yep. don't have to teach somebody, train somebody, or mm-hmm. save some money in the process of doing it, like being your own GC, right? Yep. But then you start thinking about how much is your time worth? Yeah. And that's something that I don't think we give enough importance to. Right. And it's taken me a long time to learn that too. So yeah. I am the master of delegation in my company now. <laughs> so I make sure yeah, everything. You go do that. Yeah. So the first thing I ask is who's responsible for this new initiative. Right. So it's all PJ. I yeah. just want you to know. <laughs> just put it all on him. Uh, Did you do that at your shop though? No, but at, so when I ran my shop, I was much younger, right? So I was in my twenties. It wasn't, I didn't, so I never got coached running my shop. We did mm-hmm. two, two, four, two, five a year, 2.4, mm-hmm. 2.5 a year in revenue. Right. Um, I was always about trial and error and right. best trying to implement, you know, I, I took a lean six Sigma course in my late twenties to implement best practices and efficiency and lean practices. And, um, you had a strategy though. Correct. I mean that, that by itself is at least the direction to go. Yes. in. I think a lot of shops, I, I know I can speak for myself that you just go into it thinking, well, I'll just deal with it as it comes. Mm-hmm. But then like there are, I mean, I don't I have no idea on the software side, but there's a lot of moving parts in a shop. There's a lot of different, you know, a lot of spinning plates and you're, you may be trying to take care of it yourself, mm-hmm. maybe too many things. Mm-hmm. And then it turns into, into a cluster. And so if you look at our industry, the automotive industry, most of our shop owners are technician turned shop owners. Would mm-hmm. you guys agree with that? Yeah, sure. absolutely. Right. So, yeah. Think of that technician mindset on fixing a car, never managed people probably, yep. right? Yeah. Fixing a car, trying to get the car repaired and get it out. Yeah. Now, when you start introducing these new responsibilities that they don't know or have never done before, they're trying to do the best they can. Yeah. Ego always kicks in usually, especially mm-hmm. with a technician mindset. Yeah. And that's something that we always face, right? Is trying to convince a shop owner to change the way they're running their business with the tool that we make. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of times they're not willing to listen or they don't know, or the technicians or the employees are running the shop technically, right? The, the shop owner's not really running the shop. Right. So it takes a lot for someone, you know, a shop owner even to change processes because they're so used to doing things a certain way. Right. But what I would say is, you know, if we, and if we can get that shop owner to have that breakthrough, we can help that shop owner. We can hold his hand and, and make some the, changes. The taste. Mm-hmm. The taste of success. Yes. The taste of something better. And and so that's really what ASOG's vision has been all along mm-hmm. is the hunger for training. Yes. Because that's what changed my life. Right? It was just a little bit of information. And I just changed a few little things. And it was really David who helped me accomplish that. But you were willing and accepting that yeah. there was a different way. Yes. That's well, the first he thing. He had hit rock bottom. He was on the verge of closing. Okay. I have hit rock bottom. I was on the verge of closing. Okay. Like, I've also met shop owners that needed to change, but they were they were comfortable. 
Okay. It wasn't bad enough for them. So do I need a heart attack? Is that, is that what the deal is? I need to, you know, sometimes you do. Yeah. Because so, I've met a lot of people that have just, you know, they go to the doctor or they like, hey, I had a scare. And all of a sudden they're like, I only eat kale. Yeah. And, and so they're, they're like, they're, they're in how, there. So how can we get there before they right. have a heart I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that what we need though as, as humans? And I guess that's what I'm asking you is, did you have to, I mean, is there, was there a rock bottom for you? Was there a point where you're like, even like you, you decided that uh, I don't want to be a physician any longer. And I, I remember being in the parts store going, I, I cannot keep coming to work. Mm-hmm. I'm going to blow my brains out. This is awful. And it was, it was gut wrenching sitting in the parking lot. Psyching yourself up to go walk in the door, like <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> yeah, I can one do this. One more time, one more time, one one day at a time, because oh. you just did not want to be there. It, it was just miserable for you. I've been there. That was rock bottom, yeah. right? And you just kind of let things happen. You're like, oh no, time for a change. I mean, did, did, were you to that point in the? You know what? What was the the catalyst? The catalyst for. Switching or, you know, did you ever hit a rock bottom? I don't, I, you know, honestly, I, I don't think I ever hit rock bottom and I was fortunate that I never, I always lived in the moment and I never, I, I'm always intrigued at learning new things and just learning, learning, learning. And so, but the, I guess the difference is I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm incredibly inquisitive. That's what we'll call it. <laughs> I used a different word before. <laughs> uh, and so I'm fascinated by things. And yeah, I mean, you ask my wife, like, like you latch on to things mm-hmm. and they fascinate you. But I don't, the difference seems to be where you, you, you latch on to something and you drive, but you push yourself past competence. Or is, are you familiar with Seth Godin? Yes. He calls it the dip. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and it's it's like, ah, I got really good, and then there's like this chasm of crossing of that chasm. That chasm. You seem to cross the chasm where I I stop at the edge and go. That's good enough. <laughs> On to the next thing, and and not just one thing. And and that was kind of my point. Is is you've done you've done it several times? Things. Yeah, you've done it with more than one thing. Yeah, I mean it's a big deal to hit two and a half million dollars in a shop. That's that's a lot of money. So that's a lot of revenue that you're pumping through the shop, and you're like, "Eh, I'm moving on." Could be because you're curious, and you're like, "Ah, this should be fun." All the software out there sucks. I'm going to try something different. I'm going to make my own software, but it's not even getting to that. It's like it's pushing past that dip, but that chasm. How'd you do that? <laughs> In uh, 15 so, minutes or less. Okay, so <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. So I, I would say. When it came to the repair shop, there were times in the beginning of, you know, 2007, we were just hitting the mortgage crisis. I would, I would question myself, did I make the right choice? I didn't have a marketing background. I didn't know how I'm going to get all these customers through the door and my rent was 10,000 a month back then. It was Oof. nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> Somehow we did it though. You know, I would get a following of customers. I would create this transparent process of repair and having my customers talk to the technicians and having a glass wall. In our shop, so transparency was very key, trying to get those customers through the door. And I just kept on improving those processes. And so in the first year, I remember we did about 700K in revenue uh, in 2007. I was kind of proud of it. And then it just kept on going up and up and up from there. And, 
you know, as Guy Ross says in How I Built This, I think luck had something to do with it, to be honest with you. And But once I got that taste of success and being able to accomplish something from nothing, it wasn't an existing shop, right? It was it was a Granger warehouse that was empty that I turned into a shop. So from building something into nothing, I got that taste and I, I just wanted more and, and law enforcement. But you, you had experienced that before, though. I mean, it's a, it's not, it's not easy to become a physician. It's not like you know, I took an online course and I'm now I'm a doctor. It's like no, no. I mean, you you went through a lot of schooling, yeah. right? Then you did your residency, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's that's a lot of work that you put into this to get to the certain point, to then go, okay, I, I've I've gotten past the chasm because a lot of people drop out. They they hit that. They're like, ah, I need to move on. I would tell those people then they didn't have a clear vision on what they were trying to attain then. Ah, oh, that's a good point. Because if you don't have a clear vision and you're willing to stop at the chasm, you're not really going for what yep. you're – what are you actually going for? You didn't have an end goal. No. Inside, in a destination. Mind. Yeah. I always had a vision of the shop, like how it's going to be compared yeah. to Mercedes-Benz Greenway, which was down the street. Mm-hmm, right. I always had this vision in my mind. And when you constantly drive at, you know, so 95 to 98% of everything you do in life is done subconsciously. Yeah. So if you keep having that vision, you keep focusing on that vision, the same thing goes with weight loss or changing your lifestyle or whatever it is. Takes, takes you. Your reticular activating system we talked about is your heat-seeking missile that will attain that vision and goal without you even thinking about it. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like you're actually having to try to get to that. Goal. That's pretty – because, I mean, I, I see that in the shop now. Right. When I think about it like that, when, when, when I went through the weight loss, I lost 70 pounds. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Like exercising was You put your head down and you, yeah, you just put your head down and got it and and did it. Well, think, let's look, do you guys have some hobbies that you guys can talk about real quick? Something that you guys. Podcast as a hobby. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he destroyed all my other hobbies because he said, Hey, let's start a podcast. And then, so. I got a new hobby. Um, <laughs> Podcasting. So I can talk about podcasts. That's fine. But what about like, I don't know, um, firearms or hunting yeah, or shooting oh yeah. or whatever, right? Definitely. Right? Definitely. So, or boating even, mm-hmm. right? So uh, let's talk about just shooting. So right. uh, are you guys pretty well versed in all the yeah. firearms and calibers Absolutely. and all that, right? So how did you get to that point though? Well, I, I was excited about it. I was interested in it. Okay. And I just started researching it. Okay. I, I liked watching YouTube videos about okay. it or like looking about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's how I got there. So if you actually dissect what you just did right there, mm-hmm. you actually – the five stages that I talked about, if we actually dive into it and break it down, mm-hmm. watching YouTube videos, which is stage four, right? because you're you're trying to learn from experts or from marksmen or shooters or somebody who knows the industry of right. firearms, right? And then as far as step five, you like attained, you attained your goal because you were trying to be a good marksman, right. trying to learn the different calipers, the rifles, the – the different techniques, the holding the pistol, right, and all these things. So you you got to your goal because it it didn't happen automatically. It, I mean, there's a lot right. of subconscious thinking that happened that you don't even realize to get to that goal. Same thing with weight loss or your shop. Now, if you actually think back on where you are today with your shop, mm-hmm. you knew you both knew that you guys needed to make a change in your shop. You guys want to make more money. You guys want to get to a point where you're. The shop is doing well, possibly opening a second shop. But you had a vision in your mind and you knew where you were trying to get to and you achieved that goal. Yep. You didn't stop at the chasm for your shop. 
Yeah, I'm still in I'm in mid chasm. I the the I guess the when I think back though, I go, ah, it's not this. It it wasn't even like I had a a mindset or I had an end goal. It wasn't it it wasn't even that. It was just it's it can't be this. This is miserable. This is not working for me. <laughs> I, I didn't. Okay, but then your vision was a better way of doing it or a better life. Yeah, a different life. <laughs> a different life, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that, that really resonates because, I mean, same thing with, with Does everything loss. resonate with you? Yeah, dude, that does. Because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the weight loss thing. I'm thinking you're about your, that. You're, you're giving them clarity. Continue. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> I mean, like, everything that, that I have been remotely successful at has followed the same pattern. I get that. Uh, and that makes sense. Like it makes perfect sense. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to think, how do I apply that to things that, um, that, that I need to apply them to? And it almost, it's almost like, yeah, I, and it's almost like I know what I need to do. I just can't seem to push myself to do it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Where, like, w- what you're saying, you're saying, well, it's not even, thinking about having to do it it's understanding where you need to get to and then it, like you're saying subconsciously you've, you've created those habits that just you make those steps you don't think about how to walk you just walk mm-hmm. but I, I i can't seem to to, to make that separate when i head when i start walking i'm like one step in front of the ah this is i'm gonna go sit down <laughs> and then as soon as it becomes um difficult maybe you could say i don't know i don't i don't know that i can articulate it there's there's something and maybe it's just the limiting beliefs like you're saying there's you something have too many limiting beliefs and you so in order to be successful at these five things i told you about you have to be very intentional and wanting that end goal you truly have to be wanting that end goal i don't think you're really set on like i'm 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 hearing a wavering david yeah i, I yeah. no that's i i 100% agree with you then i you think don't that's really 100% but there's so many that's very depressing for me because one i get the the health thing is one thing because in my mind in the back of my mind that limiting belief is i always have another day mm-hmm. and you may not i may not i may be like this this last piece of cheesecake might be what triggers this like downward spiral of health and all of a sudden you know they have to lop half my brain out or something i don't know (laughs) they chop my leg off maybe that's it whatever and and in the same the same situation it's like i'm not in i'm not in a bad situation the shop for example i opened up a second location I bought an ADOS machine. I've got an idea. I wouldn't even call it a vision. I've got an idea of what I want at this second location. And I can articulate it and talk about it and get excited about it. So that's there. But now I have to actually do the work to make it happen. And it isn't just buying stuff, which I'm very good at doing. And just buy stuff. And then I'll just, you know, I'll figure out a way to pay for it. Just buy it. But now I know I, I like I have to actually take these very specific steps. I don't want to. I, you know, look, I, I, I kind of look. They're back outside at, my like comfort zone. Well, but I mean, you think about what he was talking about just a little bit ago, talking about culture, talking about delegation, right? For me, that's where that change delegation. Happened. 
you maybe not have to do this. I may not have to do this. I just yeah. need to find somebody who can do it. Well, I, we remember we were talking about Daniel that works for Seth, mm-hmm. right? And Seth, it, Seth is this visionary who can see things and he can envision what it needs to look like. But there's aspects of that that Seth just can't handle. It, it's not that he can't handle it. It's not his forte. Sure. It's not his specialty. Where Daniel comes in I and says, Daniel. I can do this. I can do this. I wonder this how much he pays Daniel. I think I can jack him. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. Um, but I don't you, know. I just I have a feeling. And, and you know, I could probably offer more money. <laughs> I, as bad as it sucks to say this, I'm going to say this, is that we both have a very friendly culture in our shops. And we really enjoy our people, and it's about having a good time. Now, I will get serious, and I will put my foot down if I need to. It's when the bank account gets low. That's when I get serious, yeah. But the thing is. Also, I'm like, hey, that there's still- got bills coming out. Like, <laughs> we need to quit jacking around. You guys need to get this work done. <laughs> there's got to be accountability. There's got to be some type of structure. And that's where I struggle in the shop. When it comes to delegating, is I for the longest You're time- not delegating, though. And then even if you do delegate, you're stepping into it. Yeah, and I, probably subverting what steps and processes you've. That's why I can show you my my sales for this week are a lot higher than they were last week. Probably because you weren't there to right. to mess things up. Yeah, yeah, and and so that that's one of the areas that I've learned to work on and learn to. The first time, the tenth time, you let go of some of those obligations and you let go of that responsibility. It's a little unnerving. It is. The 50th time, the 100th time, it's less unnerving than it was, right? And I, we always talk about what Dutch said to me that one time, and, and he was talking about the, the instructor for the airline that he worked for that said, son, you can, uh, you can dispatch all of the authority in the world, but none of the responsibility. This aircraft is yours. You're solely responsible for this aircraft. It doesn't matter who else you told that they could do this, that, or the other. That's your aircraft, and the people on it are your responsibility. That's yours. You own that. And so it's hard to look at that like that, but if we raise up a culture in our business that that is like that, the service advisor has responsibility to his client, mm-hmm. right? The technician has responsibility to that automobile for a quality repair However it is you decide to lay that out, if you develop a culture that does that in your shop, then the delegation happens on its own because each person has their own responsibility. I don't know. I don't agree with that. I think it was dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Sunil, anything else you want to say to the listeners? Anything that that just speaks to you, you got to say it. I wish more and more shop owners would realize that there's always going to be a better way. Amen. And just to ask for help. Yes. Put ego aside. Oh, yeah. That's really hard. Ask for help. Yeah. There's plenty of resources out there. So you guys have helped twice now with the scholarship fund, Mm -hmm. which thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. You would not believe how difficult it is to find shop owners that are willing to say, yeah, I need, I need some help. Yeah. And the ones that do ask for help, they're like, you don't need any help. What are you doing? Like, leave this for somebody who's really struggling. We're, we're you know, we, we have seen, and and <laughs> sometimes the help is not what we think it needs to be, mm-hmm. right? You already, uh, saw it. you already talked about that. Well, what I was going to say is talk about the first Vision Scholarship winner. You remember that? 
Yeah, but I like the guy ended up closing his doors. But the guy was sleeping in the gra the shop mm-hmm. and deciding between what was it, diapers and parts. Diapers and parts. He like his whole family was sleeping in the in the shop. And I and they this. Yep. and they were able to close the shop and walk On away their terms, right? With money. They sold everything. Yeah. yeah. They walked away with money in their pockets mm-hmm. when when it was getting ready to bankrupt them financially. Yeah. And all it took was just a bit of little information. And and what was so cool about that for me was he reached out because, you know, everybody was so upset they thought we had failed. And he reached out and he said, I just want you to know you didn't fail. You helped me understand this wasn't the right place for me. Mm-hmm. I'll, right? And, I mean, how do we stop the, the bleeding when it comes to our industry's reputation? So we, we help the people who don't need to be un- understand they don't need to be in it. Mm-hmm. And we help the people who want to be in it, who are truly an asset to it, understand what they can do differently to be better. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. If you'd like to catch these episodes early, you can do so by becoming a patron. Just go to asog.site and click on the Become a Patron Now button. Becoming a patron helps support the show, gets you several perks, and is tax deductible. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and on YouTube so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, shoot me an email. My email address is david at asog.site. That's D-A-V-I-D at A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Until next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Before I let you go, I need to ask you a question. Are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country? If you doubt that you are, why are you making your life harder? Shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean, easy-to-use program unlike anything else on the market. Go to GetShopware.com and see what I mean today. That's GetShopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.